to the Voice of HK podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Bajik-Smith, and in over a decade, I have supported hundreds of older adults to improve their well-being in late life. This podcast offers an authentic insight into aged care, practical tips, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person needs to feel heard, loved, and understood. And it is my mission to halve the depression rates in Australian aged care facilities by 2022. Hey everyone, today I wanted to talk to you about a very important topic when it comes to our mental health of older people and a topic that is often not considered or not analysed enough and it's the sense of responsibility for the well-being in older people and who does it fall on. We know when a younger person is not doing well emotionally and if they're seeing a psychologist or if they're getting support for their mental health, then often there is that sense of, well, the responsibility falls back on them and it's up to the client as to what they do in between the consultations. So if they're seeing a psychologist for their depression and the psychologist recommends that they go walking three times a week or visiting a gym or doing other activities to boost their mood and the person doesn't do it, because they choose not to do those activities um, or their mental health prevents them from taking the initial steps to do it, we say, well, that's that person's decision, choice, and perhaps they need to review the goals with, with their mental health provider and the therapy as well to achieve better outcomes. But what happens when we talk about mental health in older people do we use the same principle as we use for younger people and think, well, it's up to the older person to, first of all, tell us if they're not feeling emotionally well, to seek treatment, and to do all the activities in between the consultations to improve their mental health outcomes. And I know certainly when I started working in aged care and I would see older people both in residential aged care and in their own homes, that I would work in isolation with that client to improve their outcomes. So I would go and see an older person in their home, often because they would say that they are unable to come to my consulting room due to reduced mobility. And I would go and see them in their home or I would go and see them in a nursing facility and we would set some goals as to what they were to do in between our consultations. And what I was finding was that the older people were reporting back to me when I would go back to see them that they were not able to do whatever activity they initially identified in our, in our consultation. So, for example, if it was walking, they would say, I was not able to go for a walk today because it was windy or it was too hot or it was too cold or I didn't feel confident in leaving the room and being able to go and doing these things. And so over time, it became more and more evident that I couldn't work in isolation with these older people, that I needed to include feedback and input from their families and from the workforce 
and to work collaboratively in improving the mental health outcomes of older people. Now, as psychologists, we know about the importance of patient privacy and, and dignity and respecting all those very important factors. But when it comes to older people who have diminishing independence, they may require support in between consultations to achieve those outcomes. Similarly, if an older person moves into an aged care home, they may require additional support to help them adjust rather than just to assume that they can do that adjustment themselves and that they're going to go and explore the facility, explore the activities, join in on activities based on the program that's on offer and be able to integrate with other residents without any additional supports in place. I've certainly met a lot of staff in aged care facilities who say, we respect the choice and individuality of our clients to be able to pick and choose activities. But often the clients may not necessarily know if there is an activity or program, what is involved in it. And what is happening more and more is that those individual differences between people in aged care are becoming more pronounced. So we're no longer at the stage where, oh, everyone's going to like bingo, where everyone's going to like crosswords. We're finding that some people enjoy painting and others enjoy music. And then you have those who love gardening and others who love discussion groups. So we need to look at the ways that we can incorporate the variety of activities to meet their needs. And from my own clinical experience, I know the importance of promoting that resilience in older people and enabling them to articulate their strengths, particularly as they enter care and they're receiving additional supports for activities of daily living. And the, the, the main reason why it's so important to focus on the strengths is to give that person the sense of control and ability to contribute positively towards the outcomes in their lives. So for years and years and years, I've been doing group work with older people who just move into an aged care facility and running them through an eight-week program whereby we look at psychoeducation and delivery of some training to help to build their resilience and increase their socialization and engagement with other residents. And these programs have been very successful and they've been very empowering for older people, but also for the families to see that the adjustment has gone well. I'm now licensing this program to aged care homes and teaching staff to run the programs with my ongoing support. So as opposed to having me come to a facility to run the program, the staff that are there already can run the program with my support. They're provided with all the materials and the residents are given all the handouts and tools that have been used with hundreds of older people before them. So when we talk about that sense of responsibility, we actually need to empower older people to be able and to be reminded that they do have the ability to contribute towards the outcomes in their lives, that they still matter, that they're still important, and that we still respect their individual approach, interest, and the way that they choose to engage. As a researcher, I interviewed 
a number of home care workers who work with older people in their own homes. And oftentimes they would say to me, you know, the client would say that they're lonely or that they're isolated and that these workers were not sure how to respond to those clients. And one of the main reasons in why they were not sure how to respond to these clients came back to the issue of training in awareness about mental health. So what was happening was that the clients were articulating to the workers that they were not feeling well, that they didn't want to engage in activities, that they had fear about using a walking frame and the perception from those around them about being old or how you know they didn't want to be stigmatized with using hearing aids, walking aids, or any other type, types of aids because of that fear. And home care workers, not having had training in mental health, didn't really recognize that those symptoms were suggestive of depression or anxiety disorders, and the symptoms were not escalated to their supervisors or to the doctors. And that is, that's a significant issue, particularly when you look, we look at the prevalence of mental health conditions in older people, and we see that older people, in particular in residential settings, have such a high rates of depression. It's This month is September, and there are a couple of key dates that are very important for mental health awareness, such as the Suicide Prevention Day and Are You OK Days. And when we talk about mental health outcomes, and in particular in older people, oftentimes people are surprised to hear about such a high prevalence of poor mental health outcomes in those populations. So what we might find is that all the people who, whose health is declining and who require more support to engage in activities are likely to have declining mental health as well, in addition to their physical health needs. We know that the risk factors for developing mental health conditions tend to increase if the older person is not feeling supported, if they're feeling isolated, if they've gone through grief and loss, and if, if their mobility has reduced. And no, it's not normal to feel depressed when your loved one passes away but it's normal to experience grief. And there are so many differences between the experiences of older people and their outcomes, as well as putting any labels on what could be going on for them. So in my clinical setting, I have had a number of referrals for you know, depression and anxiety, but it could just be grief that the older person has gone through and not having had support through that process. So it's really important to make sure that the older person gets the right support to understand what is going on for them and to look at the ways we can actually work on achieving some goals. And when I talk about goals, I talk about improving the quality of their life and being able to meaningfully live. So the goals might be about increasing social interactions, increasing pleasant events based on the interest of that person. It could also be about being more physically active and reducing the risk of falls, or the goals could simply be about spending more time with their loved ones. And as psychologists, this is something that we work with older people, is 
being able to identify those goals. And then going back to what I mentioned earlier about whose responsibility is it, well, then it's a team effort to make sure that that person is supported to achieve the individualized goals. So having worked in a number of aged care homes, oftentimes staff would say to me, oh, it's, it's quite hard to support the resident because we do have lots of activities on offer, but they just don't want to attend. They don't want to get out of their rooms. They don't want to engage. And we don't know what to do to boost that engagement. So what they choose to do instead is say, well, we'll, we'll support the decisions of that person in not wanting to do the activity and just leave them alone. And then when I would go and see those older people and I'd check in on them and see how they're going, they would say to me, I feel so lonely and I feel so isolated and I've got so much pain and I feel so tired. And then when I would ask them, well, what have you been doing the last few days? And they say, well, not much, just lying in bed and resting. So they're not tired because they've been doing a lot. They're actually tired because they haven't been using their brains and their bodies and engaging in meaningful activities. It's good to feel tired after you've physically exerted yourself and been out and done exercise or gone for a walk. But when you're tired because you haven't done much, we actually need to look at that and look how we can, what we can do to improve that. Because we know that when people do less and when they're more isolated, that their care level will increase. So what tends to happen is that the person is less physically active. They're not, they're not using their muscles. They're not using their, their minds and their brains as much as they need to be doing. And therefore, they, they become quite lethargic and isolated. And therefore, their risk of falls increases. And then their recovery is also quite slow because they're just resting until they get better. I've seen a number of older people whose physical health has declined because of their mental health state, because of their reluctance to engage in activities and their depression, which was preventing them from, for, from initiating new activities. And this is, this is a huge problem. And a, and a gentle reminder that we need to work collaboratively to help these people, that we need to look at ways of what we need to say and do to encourage them to join activities, to look at the ways that we can incorporate some simple techniques that will boost their confidence, to look at the ways that we can incorporate reminiscence, life review strategies into the delivery of care. And these are the techniques that can be taught to the workers they can be taught to the families and they can be taught to the individuals themselves. No person is too low, old to learn new tricks. And certainly in the, in the case of aged care, there's an opportunity to upskill the entire team that supports the older person. There's an opportunity to work with families better and empower them in improving the mental health outcomes of older people couple of very simple strategies that I use with families is to remind them that when they visit their loved one in a facility, not just to go and see them in their rooms, which feeds on that isolation and validates the reason why the loved one needs to sit in the room and wait for their son or daughter to come because they're fearful that if they go and join activity that they're going to miss out on the visit. 
I talk to families about the importance of helping their loved one join in the activities and integrating them into activities on site. So instead of just picking up your loved one outside the facility and taking them for an outing, which is nice and well, and I still encourage it to happen from time to time, but if that happens all the time, the older person is less likely to integrate into activities on site at the facility. So I encourage families, look at the calendar, look at what, what's on offer on site. Can you support your loved one to attend those activities? Can you write it in their diaries? On the wall, a reminder that on Tuesday afternoon, there's a bus outing, that there is an activity that they should attend. And if they express some hesitation or uncertainty or vocalize anxiety about being in a group setting, that perhaps you can put it in your diary too. And, uh, and then you can perhaps attend the activity with them accompany them to that outing. That's another strategy that can work. And that's another strategy that the workers can also share with the families when they go and visit their loved ones and, and, and look at the ways that we need to work collaboratively and improve those outcomes and activities. And so my message to you today is to really reconsider that sense of full responsibility about mental health and that perception that, oh, it's not my responsibility, I haven't had training in mental health and I don't see that falling in under me. Poor mental health in older people affects them and it can affect your engagement with them and their outcomes. And the only way that we're going to overcome it is by addressing it and working collaboratively. Every aged care worker in Australia needs to know if an older person expresses to them suicidal ideation what they need to do. They need to know if the older person appears lethargic, lacking interest in activities, that they may need to that they may be depressed and may need to get additional support. That their doctor should be notified, as well as when they experience symptoms of anxiety, what to do and how to support them. I know that the workers have the best intention and that they often say that they provide reassurance and distraction, but it's really important to know what to say, what to do, and when. Mental health in older people in residential settings is at unacceptably high rates, and we need to work together to improve those outcomes. It is our responsibility and obligation to do that. And if we do it together, we can not only improve the mental health outcomes for older people, but we can actually gain more joy, a lot more joy and engagement and improved quality of our experiences interacting with older people. This includes improved job satisfaction, improved resilience, and improved teamwork with our colleagues and peers. It will also improve our own work and life balance because we're focusing on building the resilience and strengths of all the people and addressing any issues that they may have in their well-being early on rather than leaving it while it, when it's too late and when the older person may require significant level of support or whereby 
their physical health has considerably declined as a result of their poor mental health. This is something we can do together. Prevention is always better than receiving treatment when the condition is quite advanced. And this is something we can do together in collaboration. I've seen a number of older people have better mental health outcomes with early intervention and prevention strategies. And I encourage you to speak to your managers, to speak to coordinators and look at what you can do more within your workplace to improve the mental health outcomes of older people. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Be sure to become a subscriber on your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss out when I release the next episode. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. So leave a rating and review too. Over on my website, wisecare.com.au, you can find my free guide full of practical tips on supporting older people with cognitive impairment. Let's face it, sometimes it's the impaired memory aspect of supporting the aged that feels the most challenging. And I want to give you practical strategies to deal with this. Go to wisecare.com.au for your free copy of this amazing resource. See you in the next episode.